Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everybody. My name is Rick Thomas, and this is Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me. If you haven't been to our Sanctification Center or haven't been recently, please go over to lifeovercoffee.com. We have plenty of free resources for you on all things pertaining to your life and also your relationships. And so take advantage of them and also share them with your friends. I had someone write to me recently and they asked me about confidentiality. And so I want to share with you the list of questions that they ask me. And then as I wrap up here, I'm going to work through all of those questions. But first, I do want to build a foundation. I want to juxtapose two ideas. Uh, One of those is confidentiality. I want to compare it to biblical communication. Now, this is not a topic that is just specific to the biblical counseling community. It applies to all of us, and so I trust that you will benefit from what I'm about to share with you. And so let me set it up this way. Your friend comes to you with a secret sin. You are his accountability partner, and he asks you how to keep he asks you to keep his sin secret. Now, how would you respond to him? Is it okay to pledge confidentiality or to have an expectation of confidentiality? Does confidentiality have value in the context of confession? How does that work, being confidential but yet confessing? Or does confidentiality interfere with the benefits of confession? Are there instances where we should tell others about a transgression even if the guilty party is against it? And then finally, what about biblical principles that should guide us regarding sin, secret keeping, and sharing inside of a biblical community. And so those are the questions that my friend asked me. I'm going to answer each one of them toward the the end. Uh, But I want to begin with this word confidentiality. Now, firstly, and we have to say this, uh, it's just not a Bible word. Now, that doesn't make it wrong, and it doesn't make it inappropriate. It's just a a factual statement. Confidentiality is not a, a Bible word. What we want to do is to build a biblical framework and a worldview when discussing communication puzzles. And so we need to think about confidentiality. We need to think about all the words that we use and to make sure that our wordsmithing does have that biblical framework and worldview. What has happened here is that Christians have brought this modern construction of confidentiality from the secular counseling world, and they brought it into their application of communication principles. And anytime we do that, again, not making it wrong, but we can find ourselves getting into snags because words are important. In fact, our Christian faith and practice stands or falls on how we think about and apply words. Now, my goal here is not to be the word police, not to play whack-a-mole with our wordsmithing, but word selection and word use does require our utmost care. I mean, just as an example, theologians have stood at the door of the Word of God for centuries, protecting against any misuse of God's Word, while helping us to understand it correctly and to make appropriate applications. They knew that the only way we could have faith in God was by His Word. That's what Romans 10:17 tells us. 
And so our historical theologians have lived and died literally protecting God's Word from theological error. The call for theological vigilance and precision has always been paramount for the Christian. One of the odd developments in the past century is how the Christian community has not been as vigilant regarding our sanctification words. While we can be exacting in parsing the Greek, which we should be meticulous in doing, we can be sloppy when thinking about and developing sanctification processes. You see, confidentiality is how we apply theology, and so there is a direct connection between sound theology that our historical theologians have protected and the vigilance that we need in applying sound theology to our everyday lives, and this is where the word confidentiality comes in. Sound theology is merely an excellent beginning to a God-glorifying life. Sound sanctification, the application of sound theology, is just as necessary. Because sanctification is the assumed outflow of our theological understanding. Maybe a succinct definition of sanctification would be this. It's the application of theology. Theological knowledge without biblical application, it can make one arrogant, as Paul would say in Corinthians 8.1, we're puffed up, heady and high-minded. Just biblical knowledge alone is isolated head knowledge without any biblical application. But then on the other end, you could take biblical application without sound theology, and of course that would make one foolish. And if you want to know what foolishness is all about, just go to Proverbs and look for all the fool verses, meaning fool, foolishness, foolish, folly. And if you read those words, there are those verses, there are plenty of them, and you will see what application looks like when it's disconnected from sound theology. You see, wisdom happens when Christians couple connect sound theological information with practical application in real-world relationships and context. The call of God is not only to be a stickler about theology, meaning not being rude about theology, but being a stickler and how we apply it also. There's a blind side to our sanctification that we must guard just as fiercely as our theological prowess. If we're not as exacting in how we think about sanctification, then we're on the road to being a devil. The devil is someone who is familiar with the Bible, knows a lot about theology, but does not know how to accurately apply it. Now, for an added benefit, if you want to look inside this article that I'm sharing with you, Again, the title is, Should I Keep My Friend's Sin Secret? I have developed a mind map here that really walks through what I've just shared with you. And so you can go inside that article and you can look at that mind map. Of course, you can share our mind maps with your friends and that would be fantastic. But please take advantage of it if you have time. Because the Bible has a more thorough way of discussing confidentiality in the broader framework of communication, you could, you could really extract the word confidential from our Christian vocabulary 
without compromising what some folks are attempting to solve by using the word confidentiality. You see, confidentiality is the world's approach to problem solving, not the Bible's. Christians should not think this way because the Bible provides a better way to think about communication. And when we're talking about confidentiality, we're talking about communication. Let me make the point by telling you a story. Biff was his pastor's accountability partner. As time passed, Biff learned that his pastor struggled with a porn addiction, a 30-year secret. Eventually, the church terminated the pastor for other reasons, though those character-related reasons contributed to his porn problem. They just did not know about the porn problem, but obviously, if you have a porn problem, you have character-related problems, and those character-related problems spilled out to such a degree that they had to let him go. The elders knew about the character deficiencies, but did not know the breadth or the depth of his problems but Biff did. Within a few weeks, the recently fired pastor began looking for another ministry job. He wanted to be a pastor. Biff appealed to him to come clean with the churches interviewing him. The unemployed pastor refused while holding Biff to the secularized standard of confidentiality. And so that's the scenario. Now, Paul gave the Corinthian church a public review for keeping silent about sexual sin. You can read that in 1 Corinthians 5.12. You can go to Psalm 32, where King David talked about how awful it was to stay quiet about his sin. It was so awful that God sent Nathan to bust up his confidentiality to confront David, and you can read about that in 2 Samuel 12.7. Back to Corinthians, Paul warned them about how their lack of appropriate confrontation leads to even greater public scrutiny and judgment. And that's what we see in the story of Biff and his former pastor. When sinful offenses happen, our first call to action should be redemptive measures, not secretive ones. Overlooking this point about sin is similar to cancer. It will continue to spread rolling over and affecting more and more people. And though the Bible does not discuss confidentiality, it is silent on the matter. God's Word has much to say about how to talk about our relational problems and our sin difficulties after you reframe the language biblically. You see, confidentiality fits under the communication umbrella asking how we should communicate with each other, especially on sensitive matters. The word communication comes from the word community, or the Greek word here is koinonia. The word koinonia means fellowship, community, or participation. Can you hear the communal instincts in those words, fellowship? community, participation, which indicates how we are to interrelate with each other in the body of Christ. The primary way we have relational interaction is with each other, and it's by how we communicate to each other. You see, koinonia is moving toward unity, transparency, honesty, integrity, vulnerability, trust, and redemption. Now, you can continue extending out these words. That's just a sampling of what koinonia means. 
confidentiality, it moves in another direction, many times towards secrets, hiding, fear, distrust, and even deception in some situations like with the story that I shared about Biff and his former pastor. Confidentiality does not have biblical moorings, which can lead to sub- and unbiblical applications. The story of Biff and his former pastor illustrates how this can be a problem. The Bible gives better words that teach us how to build community through communication without harming others. Let me give you a few examples. Would you take some time to reflect on these words? better words than confidentiality, and just let the Bible flow over you. Let it impress you as it teaches how to govern our tongues while broadening out God's assumptions for critical conversations. Now, here is a short word cloud of better words that not only encompasses all that confidentiality would hope to be, but it goes way beyond making confidentiality not necessary because the Bible has something better. Here's a limited word cloud that speaks to all things communication. Discretion. Building up. Fitting speech, backbiting, that's bad by the way, unwholesome speech, a soft answer, judicious, confession, ungodly speech, slander, slow to speak, rash words, grumbling, wise words, and gossip. That is just a small word cloud of of some of the illustrations that fit within uh, the community bucket, communication bucket, making it far better. It gives us better guard rails and a better direction than the word confidentiality does. Now, there are many more words about communication in the Bible that encourages us or convicts us about how we talk to and about each other. And not only do you have a word cloud here, but there are there's a lot of verses that you could look up. Not to mention the entire chapter of James chapter 3, uh, talking about the tongue. But you can look at 1 Peter 3, 1 through 9, talking about communication in part. Ephesians 5, 22, James 1, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, 15, Proverbs 13, and on and on and on. In the case of the secretive pastor... He likes the word confidentiality, a narrow, it is so narrow in the world of communication that it misses all the opportunities and obligations of what communication puts forth. And the reason he wants to do that is because he wants to hide his sin from view, just to put it bluntly. Matthew provides a governing passage for how we should think about this pastor while never deviating from other directives regarding our tongues. Remember, the goal is not confidentiality, but a community, which will happen in proportion to us being built up in the unity of the faith. The community question, as opposed to the confidentiality question, should motivate us to ask, how can we have a better community within the body of Christ, rather than how can we seek to keep our sinful secrets confidential. A biblical community has proper motivation for unity, while a fearful community typically prefers confidentiality, leaning toward a desire to keep sin secrets secret. This is what Matthew said in Matthew 18. He says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. 
between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, Biff, if that pastor does not listen, you take one or two others along with you, that you can establish every charge by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And by the way, Biff, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now that is Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. The humble, gospelized person has nothing to hide, and he or she is constantly pushing toward greater integration within, the, within Christ's body. You see, Christ came to give us a biblical community, to give us koinonia, fellowship, communication, participation. He has always desired to reverse the curse that includes covert operations. You see, Adam put on fig leaves to cover his fear, his guilt, his shame, because he was more interested in secret keeping than open and honest care and accountability. We do not want to mimic Adam. We want to follow Christ. We do this through confession which is agreeing with God what He already knows about us at the actual condition of ourselves, while walking out appropriate repentance within the community of friends. The people who do this experience biblical koinonia in the body of Christ. It is a different worldview than the narrow, the slender, and sometimes compromising word of confidentiality. There will be times when a Christian will sin. I have done this many times, and so have you. And there is a process for restoring us to God. And the first step is confession, communication, agreeing with God, with what we have done wrong. And then sometimes within the sphere of that confession, there are human beings. And so if the person confesses their sins to God, they can receive instantaneous forgiveness but more than that, they can step onto the path to freedom from their sin. But if sin has caught them and they cannot or they will not extricate themselves from their transgressions like Biff's former pastor, they're going to need external motivation, external restoration from those within the community. Now, this opportunity is where Matthew 18, it releases us from secular worldviews about how to help people change. If a person is not willing to clean up their act, or if a person cannot at this moment clean up their act because sin has captured them in such a way that Paul talked about in Galatians 6.1, if anyone is caught, captured in a trap, stepped in a bear trap, and they can't extricate themselves, the Lord calls the body of Christ to engage the erring friend for several reasons. His glory, of course. The person's benefit, obviously. The body's health. Well, if there is one erring member, a little leaven will leaven the entire loaf. And, of course, a warning to all. We need to see the, activ the activation of true biblical communication, especially when transgressions happen. It is a sober warning and a call for us to be vigilant over our own souls. There are reasons why I would never pledge to keep things confidential with anyone. If someone were to appeal to me to keep what they are about to say confidential, I would tell them that I can't make that pledge because I do not know what 
they're going to say to me. I mean, what if they told me about sexually abusing an underage child and you pledged confidentiality? Well, that's a legal matter right there. And so you would be not only culpable, connected to his sin, but you would be breaking the law as well. Now, it doesn't mean that I am to gossip about or slander them. Sometimes we can just swing from one pole to the other. Confidentiality leads to more and more secret keeping, while some people react to that and say, well, you just, you're just going to gossip to everyone. No, go back to that word cloud that I shared with you earlier. It talked about discretion and judicious and rash words and slander and gossiping. See, so the Bible has a fuller understanding of communication rather than just the narrow-mindedness and the traps that are embedded inside confidentiality. If we extract confidentiality from our language, it does not give a person permission to gossip or slander. Scripture commands that we should not let an erring brother continue in sin. There is a beautiful biblical symmetry between communication that honors discretion and dialogue that celebrates redemptive work. And so on one end, we are discreet, honoring discretion, and on the other end, there is dialogue, celebrating the redemptive work in a person's life, which is the entire point of Matthew 18. The process for Biff, it should have been to let his pastor friend know that he would talk to the elder board to get him biblical help if he was unwilling to take this initiative. Now, Biff had already made many appeals for him to change. Sin had captured the pastor. Go back to Galatians 6.1. It was a problem that eventually cost him his church, though more importantly, it was besmirching God's name. It was hurting, and it did hurt the body of Christ. And maybe most of all, it could possibly endanger innocent people. He had a porn problem, a secret porn problem. You see, the Lord executed his son on a tree because of our transgressions. Now, that is a clue that should inform us how seriously God takes our sin. For us to hide our problems from others is to mock the death of Christ. To bore you with my redundancy, the issue is not about slander or gossip, but about responding appropriately, redemptive, on behalf of a, of a person who refuses to act redemptively for himself. So if a friend is in sin and the community of faith does not act upon what they know, the community of faith becomes guilty to some degree. Think about it this way. Would you want a secret porn addict pastoring your children? How would you think about a person who knew all about this and did not say anything about this, and then that person with this secret sin sexually molested your child. That's what I mean, that an individual who knows this and does not act upon this biblically, appropriately, working within the constrictions of the word cloud that I shared with you earlier, there would be some culpability. How about this? Would you hire a porn addict to lead and shepherd your church? Would you hire one to lead and shepherd your child? If you're married, husband, your wife. Of course you would not. 
But what if we take my questions at the beginning and push them through the filter of community and communication rather than through the filter of confidentiality? And so I want to wrap up by going back to the questions that I asked at the very beginning in order. How would you respond to Biff? Well, when I am an accountability partner with someone who has secret sins, what I need is grace-filled courage to let him know that I, I will do everything within my biblical rights, within my biblical rights. That is the framework to motivate him to be honest with God and others as appropriate, even if it means letting others know about his problem, should he refuse to repent. Question number two, is it okay to pledge confidentiality or to have an expectation of it? Answer, I will let my friend know that I will love him to the end. I will also let my friend know that I will use the utmost discretion, guardrail one, and stewardship regarding what he tells me. He will know that my love for him may mean I will make some hard decisions if he continues to choose a life of unrepentant sin, guardrail number two. I cannot hide his sin. Why? Because I love him too much. Question number three. Does confidentiality have value in the context of confession? I would ask the question or frame it a different way. Discretion has value. Wisdom has value. We should never tolerate slander and gossip, ever. Therefore, I will guard my tongue when he confesses sin to me. But because I love him, I cannot keep his issues secret if he chooses not to repent. He will not hold me to an unbiblical standard or a sub-biblical standard if he genuinely loves me. But if a person doesn't love you, if the unrepentant sinner doesn't love you, he will probably try to manipulate you. He will want me to get all the appropriate, if he loves me, he will want me to get all the appropriate help necessary so that he can be free. Question number four. Are there instances where we should tell others about a transgression even if the guilty party is against it? Answer, I have no choice but to ask others to become involved with my friend who refuses to repent. I'm not talking about sharing this laterally or across the board to anyone not sharing it horizontally is what I mean, but sharing it vertically. Those who are above me, a pay grade higher, those who can, the two or three witnesses that Matthew talked about who have the ability uh, to speak into the situation competently, compassionately, and, comp and courageously. Not to do this would be like watching a friend bleed to death in front of me while not acting on it. You see, biblical love must override biblical hate. A definition for apathy, by the way, is biblical hate. Since the word apathy is not in the Bible, apathy is it's not an innocuous word. And apathy, in this context, does not fit within the love framework. No, apathy fits within the hate framework. And so biblical love must override biblical hate. Again, Matthew 18 is my guide. 1 Corinthians 6.1 is my warning where Paul was warning the Corinthians. If I do not do this for him, the sin he wants me to hide may become more public than he ever imagined. Question number five. 
What biblical principles guide us in this? Well, my response to that is that there is no one principle to guide. That is the singularity and the narrowness of the word confidentiality, and that's why the Bible is more exemplary and more plenary when it comes to the idea of confidentiality because it broadens it within the communication framework, which gives us more options and more opportunities to think about it. So there is no one principle to guide, but there is a gospel to emulate. The gospel is about redeeming, restoring, rescuing, and rejoicing. I want to follow my Lord by being redemptive in the lives of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Though I hope to never sin against any of them with my words, by my tongue, I am bound to use my word, words and my tongue in the fullest redemptive measure, means possible even if it causes relational conflict within the community of faith. If you want to read what I've just shared with you, you can go to our website, lifeovercoffee.com. It's titled, Should I Keep My Friend's Sin Secret? You could probably just type the word secret in the search box, and you can find this article, the podcast, and the video. Let me wrap up by asking a, a few questions. Number one, what are some instances where you would not share a person's sin? Now, this would be... I would appeal to you to answer these questions with a friend. Perhaps this would be a good discussion in small group for you all to brainstorm and talk about this in the context of what I just shared. And so what are some instances where you would not share a, a person's sin? I have many of those in my mind. There are many things that I know that nobody else knows. Number two, what are a couple of other instances where you have no choice but to let others know. And of course, I've illustrated that with, with Biff's former pastor. Number three, why is it wise never to promise confidentiality before someone shares something with you? I trust that should be self-evident, but I wanted to insert it here so that uh, is point is pinned to your mind so that you will have an answer for this question. Number four, would you take time to review the words and the terms that I gave? There were like 15 of them in that word cloud. It talked about how the Bible's view of communication is better than the purposes of confidentiality while not making the confidential mistake that the pastor made, or maybe also what Biff made too. Again, the title of this is, Should I Keep My Friend's Sin Secret? Uh, do you, are you aware that we teach people how to do discipleship, how to go and not only obey, but to implement what God has called us to do, what Jesus said to go and make disciples? There are several ways that we do this. We have I mean, the, the biggest and most extensive way, the most intense way is our mastermind program where we teach people how to do. Some people call it biblical counseling, but I, that's too narrow for me. I like the word discipleship because it fits all of us who name the name of Christ. Uh, so maybe that is an opportunity that this is the season for you to consider our mastermind program. I would love for you to do that. There's free information at lifeovercoffee.com where you can look into what the mastermind program is all about.
We also have topical courses. Our most recent course is how to overcome the fear of man being controlled by the opinions of other people, and that fits right in with what I've been sharing with you. Biff will have to deal with this idea of courage. Uh, when this pastor, see, think about the situation that Biff is in. Biff is a church member, and he's accountability partner to his pastor, or now former pastor. And sometimes people who have an authoritative role over us can, whether they do it intentionally or not, can uh, can control how we think about them and how we respond to them. Uh, there can be this pastoral or leader effect, and, and there can be some fear of man operative in Biff's heart. Well, we all struggle with fear of man to varying degrees. It's something that will always be with us, and that's what this course is about. No More Fear. Now, our Mastermind program and the No More Fear course is all online, and so you can take it right at lifeovercoffee.com. You can do it in your home, in your coffee shop, wherever you wish. Now, we also have supporting memberships. And this is a huge training benefit for those who underwrite our ministry. And so if you want to support us, you're welcome to do that. It starts at $10 a month or uh, what? It, uh, there's an annual uh, fee as well. And so you can do it monthly. You can do it every three months. You can do it every 12 months. And so if you do that, well, then you have access to our private forums. Now, that is our private community that no one in the world can access. Now, it is a polite, it is a, a wonderful community of encouraging friends, Christ-like disciple makers. We're not snarky. We're not mean. Uh, we try to encourage and to motivate one another. Now, we do have difficult conversations. There's no doubt about that. And so it is a blend of courage and compassion. But if you have questions that are important to you, or if you're discipling, and that's really what the forums are about, uh, because we're not a counseling ministry, and so we don't counsel people. We don't take on counselees. We are a leadership development site, and so we have these forums to help leaders to grow as they are caring for others. For a very small fee, you can really benefit from our private community, our supporting community. And so, again, you can find all of this information at lifeovercoffee.com. Check out this, what I just shared with you. Should I keep my friend's sin secret? Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.